we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Each of us has been brought up to be a separate individual with our own soul. Is this a fact or merely a concept? Hello and welcome to episode 89 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of the philosopher's talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge, beauty, intelligence and meditation. Extracts from our archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is individuality. Upcoming themes are peace, ambition and fear. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. For more information about our activities and programmes, such as our volunteer programme at Brockwood Park in the UK, we are online at kfoundation.org. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. This week's episode on individuality has four sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk in Ojai, 1981, titled We Think We Are Individuals. Crisis is in our consciousness. Consciousness is what you think, what you are, not the momentary responses only, but the consciousness of your particular desire, particular longing, particular fulfilment, identification, fears, pleasures, and the sorrow, the pain, the grief, the lack of love and compassion. All the things that thought has put together in the content of consciousness, all that is what we are. Our beliefs, our experiences, our depressions, our immense sense of loneliness and despair, our longing to be loved, to be encouraged, to be held together, 
all that is our consciousness, our nationality, our peculiar religion of two thousand years, which is a vast propaganda, or five thousand years in the Asiatic world, or three thousand. All that is our consciousness. Whatever thought has put together, both outwardly in the technological world, and what thought has put together psychologically in the inward world, is part of our consciousness. And the crisis is there, not in the development of technology, which is overpowering, which is almost destroying the world. The crisis is not in belief, in faith, in some sectarian group. The crisis is not somewhere out there, but it is where you are. The crisis is in your consciousness. And apparently, we don't seem to be able to meet it. With many of us, do recognize the crisis. If we are aware of what is happening globally, if we are sensitive, alert, knowing no scientist, politician, economist, or biologist with their extraordinary experiments that are making. The crisis is in our mind, in our heart. It is our consciousness. And recognizing the crisis Because it's the crisis of everybody, not just yours or mine. It's a global crisis. It's the crisis of humanity. Now we've reached a point where we can totally obliterate each other completely. The atom bomb, the new technology of war, and so on. One wonders if one is aware of all this. Not be only concerned with our own particular little problems, which is part of our crisis too, 
our particular loneliness, depression, sorrow, pain, pleasure, which is part of this, of our consciousness, but also the global consciousness of man, of a human being. That consciousness is not your consciousness, it's a global consciousness, because everywhere man is suffering, lonely, despair, terribly uncertain, frightened, utter lack of love, compassion, intelligence. It's a common ground upon which all human beings stand together. So this consciousness, with its crisis, is not your consciousness. I hope that's very clear, because you suffer uncertain, frightened, lonely, and all the things that one goes through in relationship is being followed all over the world, whether they live in Russia, China, or in the East, or here. They go through all this. So this consciousness is not mine or yours. This consciousness is global, the part of all human beings. We know for most of us. It's very difficult to see this, recognize it, and do something about it. Because we all think we are so terribly individual. Because we have identified ourselves with our body, with our reactions, with our nationalities, with our country, with our, you know. So we think we are individuals, are we? Have you ever asked that question? Not superficially, but basically demanding that question, whether you are actually an individual, which means indivisible. The meaning of that word is indivisible, not broken up, not fragmented, and that is an individual, are we? Or are we the, the result 
of million and more years of collective experience, collective knowledge, collective belief, and so on. The speaker is not a communist. He's totally a religious person. When he uses the word religion, he means by it not belonging to any religion whatsoever. Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, all the sectarian business. But religion implies, means, investigation, sceptically. Investigating, exploring with doubt, questioning sceptically into what is truth. That is religion. Not all that nonsense that's going on throughout the world, well-established, respectable, and profitable. When we say that you are <coughs> asking this question, whether we are individuals at all, because our brains have evolved through time, accumulating great deal of experience, knowledge, and that brain, is it yours? Please ask this question of yourself. Don't please, for one may request, identify yourself with it. Then you cannot possibly ask the question. If you say, I, my brain is mine, then there is the, it's finished. All inquiry comes to an end. But if you are inquiring, if you are sensitively aware of the growth, the evolution from the microbe to the present condition of the human brain, it's evolved through time, millions and millions of years. Genetically, it's heredity and all the rest of it. This brain is not ours, it's the brain of human beings. And that brain, which is so extraordinarily capable, look what it has done in the field of technology. Look what it has done in the field of nationalities. 
how it has invented gods, theories, saviors, and so on. I wonder if you are aware of all this. And that brain operates with the instrument of thought. Thought is its instrument. And thought has created the technological world, thought has created nationalities, thought has divided human beings, black, white, purple and all the rest of it. Thought has divided the religions, the Christian, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the Islam and so on, so on, so on, so on. Thought has made this world in which we live, the technological world as well as the psychological world. I want to ask again if one is aware of this fact. Thought has created the marvellous cathedrals, the churches, and also thought has created what is put in them. The rituals, the candles, the prayers, the symbol, the saviour, as they are in India, elsewhere, all over the world. Thought is responsible for war, for Hiroshima, for the present condition of man's confusion, anxiety, uncertainty. So thought is part of this consciousness. Thought has put together the content of that consciousness. This is irrefutable. As we said, please we are not doing any propagation of any particular idea, but we are together, please, together, now, becoming aware sensitively, without any choice and identification, look very closely into the content of our own consciousness, of our own being. From there we act, from there we function, from there is the self created, the me, that's our consciousness. And thought has put it there. When you say you are a Christian, 
believe in this or that, in the Saviour and so on, thought has been responsible for it. When you do any form of rituals, as in all religions, these nonsensical rituals which have no meaning, it is the result of thought. You may not like to hear all this. These are facts. Thought is responsible. Thought has not created nature, the tree, the tiger, the heavens with their stars. But the astrophysicist can explore space, which is again the movement of thought. So, to understand the crisis in consciousness, in our very being, one must inquire very closely into the nature of thought, because that's the only instrument we have. We may invent intuition, a hunch, and so on, but it is still the basis of thought. Thought is the basis of all this. I wonder if one, one wonders if one has recognises this and sees what thought has done. Thought has created the world in which we live, the society in which we live. The society is an abstraction. Society is an abstraction. What is real is relationship between man and man. the socialists, the communists, the democrats, and so on, are trying to change society, the social structure, all over the world. But they are never concerned with the relationship between man and man, man, woman, and so on, because that relationship makes society, which is again a fact. If your relationship with another is correct, true, has integrity, your society will then be what is totally different. But that society, which is an abstraction, is being changed by machines, not by revolutions, by computers, by the atom bomb, by all the technological inventions that mad thought has brought about, that is changing society. 
the structure. But human beings remain as they are, selfish, self-centred, completely concerned with their own dignity, with their own vanity, with their own ambition, with their own fulfilment, with their own desires. So, in order to understand and bring about a radical change in the crisis, or to respond to that crisis correctly, which means accurately, completely, one must inquire very deeply into the nature of thought. Why thought has become so extraordinarily important in life. The second extract is from the first talk at Brockwood Park in 1981, titled The Concept of Individuality is the Root of Division. The fact in relationship is division. Me and you. That's a fact. Why does this division exist? What is the truth or the falseness of this division between man and woman and so on? Why is there this division between people? Not the problems it creates, and the pursuit of solving the problems it creates, but rather why the division exists at all. Why is there division between me and another who happens to be my wife or my husband? Why? What creates this division? This is a problem for all of us. Not only you follow the division between nations, the division between religious religions, the divisions between various gurus. You follow the absurdity of it all. All of them saying we are seeking truth. Why is there this division? What has created this division? Is it one's particular demands, sexual ambition? Desire each one of us seeking fulfilment in his own way? each one of us pursuing a path 
from another, different from another? I am married. I am not, but suppose I am married. I am ambitious to climb the ladder, the ladder of a certain of a career. My wife is also concerned to succeed in some other direction. So, is ambition the factor of this division? Please go into all this. I believe in God and she doesn't. <coughs> I never inquire <coughs> why I believe. I just believe. And she doesn't. She hasn't either inquired why she doesn't. We both are prejudiced. And we hold on to our prejudices. Is that the cause of division? Or is the cause of division much deeper than that? These are all superficial reasons. Is there a deeper cause which brings about this terrible division between human beings who are willing, because of that division, they are willing to kill each other? Is there a deeper cause? Think it out, sir. Go into it. Is it our our training, our education, religious and otherwise, <coughs> that we are separate individuals? Only sexually we meet, and otherwise we are totally separate. I pursue my path, worldly or otherwise, and she does the same. So, is the division caused by this idea, idea that we are separate? Psychologically, inwardly, she suffers, I suffer. She's unhappy, depressed, moody, and I'm also on my own occasionally, and so on. So, is the root of all this division the concept of an individual? I know it goes against all tradition, follow? Against all social, moral, religious, structure. And if we have to tear down all that, because we have to understand that we, as we are now living, we are going to destroy ourselves. It's happening. 
It's happening in Beirut. May not be happening in England, but it's happening in far Asia. So we have to understand very deeply and so eradicate that which is false. Not the problems the falseness creates. I wonder. Right? So is this the root of it? That each one of us has been brought up to be separate individual on his with his own soul, with his own the whole of it. Is that a fact? Or it's merely a concept. What is a, what is the difference between a fact and a concept? You know, concept being that which is being put together by thought, by experience, by knowledge. That is a concept, something conceived, something that we have accepted through a million years of tradition. So that tradition may be utterly false. So the, the fact is something and conclusion, concept is another. Right? The fact is I am separate from my wife. That's a fact. And my concept says we are separate. You understand? Is my concept stronger than the realization that I am separate from her? The realization. You understand what I'm talking? Fact and idea are two different things, right? The idea is that I am separate. That's the idea. I want to find out if the idea is different from actuality. Am I actually an individual? Right? Am I? I suffer like you suffer. I am anxious as you are. I am frightened as you are. I am lost, I am confused as you are. So psychologically, inwardly we are the same, with variation, but we stand on the same ground. The ground may be unequal. But it's the ground on which we all stand. So the concept must be wrong. So can I be free from the concept, not from the problems, and face the actuality of what, what is? The actuality of what is is that I am not that I am like you. 
that I go through hell as you do, tortured, disturbed. So the realization that I am like you, altogether removes the image of you. You understand? No. I have created an image of you, as I have created created an image of of the kings and ministers and all that business. I have created an image about you, about my wife, you, our husband. That image has been put together through many years or through many days. The creating the image is to be secure. Right? I have an image of my guru. Thank God I haven't got any, but suppose I have. I have an image of my guru, which I have built up through reputation, not knowing what what are all the implications of it, because I am too gullible. I'll accept anything anybody says about that which I want to achieve also. So I accept, I build an image. The image is not the actual. I have an image about my wife. My wife is not the image. I wonder. And that is one of the factors that divides. Right? So the image making ends when I realize we two are standing on the same ground, right? I stop building image because we're all you. Are, you understand all this? So, um, we are not concerned, either she or me, of the resolution of problems. Which is, if I am merely concerned with the resolution of problems, then I am operating with a brain that is trained to solve problems. I wonder if you see this. Therefore, I am beginning, caught in it, and the solution of problems can never end. Because the solving one, I create another, which is happening politically. We are a crazy crowd, all right. So, I have real, one has realized that it's not important to solve problems, but to face actually what is going on. What is going on is happening. Is I have separated myself from you. That separation is the creation of image about you, and that separation is the education in which I have been brought up, the culture, the tradition, that I am totally separate from you, which is so idiotic. 
which has no basis, and yet I accept such an such a concept. So I've I now have moved all together into a different dimension. You follow? Which is we are all standing on the same ground. Man, woman, whether it's black, white, purple, whatever the colour is. Inwardly, we are taught all that. That is important to understand, not the problems that it creates. The third extract is from the first question and answer meeting in Ojai, 1984, titled You Are Not Unique. I understand that all people have a similar consciousness, but seems a vast jump to say that all people share the same consciousness. Could we walk together slowly between these two points? This is a question put. What is the significance of that question? The questioner says, I understand that all people have a similar consciousness. What do we mean by understand? I am not being facetious, hair-splitting, but I would like to know what you mean by understand. I understand the nuclear bomb will kill 10 million people with one blow. I understand it. I've seen the experiment, not be 10 million people blown up, but seen the mushroom cloud and all the rest of it. Is the understanding merely intellectual, verbal, or the understanding has tremendous significance, depth? are not merely verbal understanding, right? I've asked that question. Then you reply to that question. You say, no, when I, say, when I use the word understand, I don't mean logically, but, or merely verbally, but I understand it, the meaning, the significance, of human, of people have similar consciousness, right? But it seems a vast jump to say that all people share the same consciousness. Could we walk together slowly between these two points? What do we mean by consciousness? You reply to me. There are too many people, therefore I'll reply for you. <laughs> we mean by consciousness to 
be conscious of things, conscious of the, the trees around here, people around here, in their various dresses and hair and so on. I, I'm aware. What do we mean by being conscious? Being aware? In that awareness, see what is happening around us and the happening or the mere things as they are. And in that awareness, there is certain choice. I like, I don't like. I like oak trees, I don't like palm trees. Or I wish it was something else. So there, in this awareness, there is a sense of choice. Now, is there an awareness, which is part of consciousness, in which there is no choice at all? So the speaker puts that question. And the speaker representing you answers that question, which is, in our awareness, there is always choice. Choice being I like, I don't like, I wish it were different, and so on. So, where there is choice, there is a conflict, right? Right? Do we see this? Where there is a choice between this and that, this Division brings conflict. Now, is there an awareness without choice? Do you understand my question? As you cannot reply, I I'm taking a part. It seems that it's very difficult to be aware without choice. And the reply to that is, why? Why is it difficult? Is the word difficult preventing, throwing a barrier? The word difficult. So, you understand? You, you understand when we use the word impossible, difficult, I am a failure, those words act as a barrier. So, in using the word difficult, you have already made it difficult. So, is it possible to be aware, conscious, without any choice, just to observe? Right? And the reply to that, I will try. And to that reply, I will try, the speaker says, don't try. The moment you try, you are making an effort. And when you make an effort, you don't understand anything. Whereas if you don't make effort, but just see, Perceive the actual, right? 
And I gave him, he said, sorry, I don't understand this. So I said, let's go into it further. I am having fun with this. <laughs> I haven't read these questions before. I like to look at them first when I'm speaking. So, But it's a vast jump to say that we, that all people share the same consciousness. Is that so or not? That all people throughout the world share the same consciousness. Is that so? And you say, no, there, it is not the same. Each one of us is different. Each one of us has his own peculiarities, his own idiosyncrasies, his different environment, different um, religious upbringing or non-religious upbringing, educated in different ways. So all consciousness, we do not share all the same consciousness, you reply. And the speaker says, it's not like that. Let's look into it. Don't assert. Don't take a position. Then you can't, then it becomes a battle. But if you don't, if you are pliable, move, inquire, then we, we are together in this. So he said, now let's examine this very closely, without any bias, any ta- taking up any position that I, I believe in this, then you can't discuss, you can't explore. So let's examine this. And or you say, what do you mean examine? Explore. What do you, who is exploring? Your own attention, I'm not using the word interest. Now we must go into the question of interest and attention. I hope you're coming to this game. Most educators are concerned with interest, awaken the interest of children, students. Be interested in mathematics. If you are not interested in mathematics, be interested in history. The teacher is concerned with awakening the interest in the student. Right? In that fact, you pl- I want to play the violin. Don't play the violin. Be- it's not worthwhile because you can't earn a good livelihood. But get interest in something else, and so. Now. Where there is interest, there is always a contradictory process going on within oneself. Clear? Oh no, really. (laughs) All right, I'll explain again. 
I'm interested in climbing a mountain. And my teacher says, that's, don't be interested, that be interested in much, something much more serious. There's a contradiction immediately. I'm interested in climbing, wanting to climb the mountain. And the educator said, don't climb the mountain, be interested in what I'm saying. So in me, there is already a contradiction taking place. Wanting to do something else, I've been forced to do something else. Right? So, don't use the word interest at all. Then what word would you use, you ask me? I say, find out what is the nature of attention? Right? Are you also puzzled by all this? What is the nature of attention? The student is very interested in watching something very closely. And I want him to be interested in history. But he's watching the frog or the lizard or the bird out of the window. He's paying much more attention to that than to listen to my demand of history. So I would encourage him or help him to watch much more carefully. You understand? Much more carefully. So that his whole attention is given to his watching. When he does that, then I can see and demand that he pay attention to everything slowly. Learn to, to pay attention, not interest. You got it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, let's examine or explore that we all share the same consciousness. Wherever we live, whether in the Far East or the Middle East or here, human beings go through terrible times. There's great poverty in Africa and India, in parts of Asia. There is great suffering. The people are anxious all over the world. People are afraid all over the world. And they all want security, both physical as well as psychological. Right? Right? This is a fact. So, the fact is common to all of us. Right? You suffer. The, the Indian in India suffers. The Russian suffers. So, human beings taken looking at all the the inhabitants of the world go through this extraordinary phenomenon, right? 
all human beings are have their own idiosyncrasies, their own way of doing things, their peculiar habits, their fears, their gods, their beliefs, their right through the world, this is common fact. This is so. Right? I, the, I, the speaker says so. And you say, no, it's not like that. I am different from my neighbour. The speaker then says, are you really? You may have a bigger car, a wider garden, beautifully kept. You work at that garden. You may have a bigger house or a smaller house. Right? But this superficial difference, both biologically and physically is natural, it is there, it is a fact. You are tall, another is short, one is very, very clever, the other is not, and so on. But go beyond that, or go below that, which is in the psychological world. In the psychological world, we all share the same sorrow. Sorrow is common to all of us. You may have pleasure in one way, but it's still pleasure. It's still fear. You may be afraid of the dark, and another may be afraid of some other thing. But fear is common to all of us. Right? So, we all share the same consciousness. And you say to that, it sounds very logical, but is it true? Is it a fact? Are you, are you making something to be a fact? Because you want to bring about a non-individual existence, which is unreal. So I said, listen to what I am saying. Are you an individual at all? Factually, are you? Because you have a different complexion, different upbringing, you are a Catholic, I'm a Protestant, you are a Buddhist, I'm a Hindu, and so on. Externally, you are different. Obviously, that's a fact. But inwardly, are you different? Please, I say, yes, I'm quite different. What makes you say that you are different? Is it because you think you are different? Or is it a fact that you are different? You understand? Thinking is one thing and the fact is another. Thinking about 
A fact is something di- totally different from the fact. The fact is all you different. Not that you think you are different. Psychologically, inwardly, we cheat, we lie, we or we we want success, we want money. This is common thing to all human beings, right? So we are saying there is no individual consciousness. It's not your consciousness. And you say, I don't believe it. (coughs) It's your invention. I said, look, when you call yourself an individual, what is the meaning of that word individual? Meaning. The root meaning of that word. It means indivisible. Right? Are you indivisible or fragmented? You understand? If you are fragmented as you are, you are not an individual. Don't use that word. You are a fragmented human being. Like all other fragmented human beings. Individual means unique. You are not. We'd like to be unique. We think we are unique. Because we are clever, we are this, which is a form of vanity. So, when you examine it very closely, unbiasedly, without any sense of egotism into this, you find we are, we are humanity. We don't share the same consciousness. We are humanity. I wonder if you understand it. When you hear that statement, either you accept it as an idea, or Hearing that statement, you make an abstraction of it and say it's a good idea. Right? And you say you're avoiding the fact when you make an ideal of the fact. Right? So please look at the fact. that all, every human being in the world goes through all kinds of problems, misery, unhappiness. And if he's a clever man and wants to earn money, he does all kinds of crooked things, you know, the whole game. And we all do the same thing in a different way, but the, the motive, the urge is the same. 
And you reply to all that. Yes, I follow it all logically, but I can't feel the the depth of your statement that we are humanity. The feeling of it. I, then the speaker says, "Why? Why don't we feel this tremendous sense of wholeness in humanity?" You understand? Not that we share the earth. Um, the earth is our mother, and we're all born, etc., etc. No, that's the latest fact. Yeah. Another fad in this country. Realize this? We move from fad to fad. The latest box we we fall into. So if one can look at the fact and not make an idea of it. Or an abstraction of it as an ideal, but remain with the fact that we are really the whole of humanity, psychologically. Then that feeling, when you remain with the fact, it gives a, a, a sense of tremendous energy, and there is no separation. The final extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Madras, 1972, titled Is There a Permanent You? Look, sir, come with me, look at it. What's your life? Your job? If you have got a job? The beliefs, the gods, all the things that thought has put together, the books that you have read, the Upanishads, the Gitas, the whatever the books, sacred, I won't call them sacred, they're just books, all that you have read is accumulated in the mind. This accumulation, including Jealousy, what you think is love, all and death is, is the content and therefore that is your life. That content is fragmented, broken up, business artist, uh, dancer, uh, businessman, scientist, and so on, so on, so on. This fragmentation is brought about by thought, Thought is time, and thought says, I don't want to die, right? All the things have accumulated is, is me. So, thought 
which is the product of the past, accumulation, so on, is time. Memory is time. And thought, which is the child of time, denies or uh, uh, maintains time as a means of avoiding death. Have we all gone to sleep? Look, sir, you're caught in the social stream of life, aren't you? The social stream of Brahman, non-Brahman, the politician, the economist, the artist, that is the stream. Endless tree. Your co- mind is caught in that. You are that stream. And we are asking whether the mind can be free of that stream. And if it is not free, there will always be death. You understand? It's only the mind that is not caught in the stream, whether it's the technological stream or the social stream or the rela- or the stream of this disorder in relationship. That stream is your life. That stream is you. You are the world and the world is you. That stream is you. Now when you die, you still belong to that stream, don't you? Don't you? No? You are not an individual, are you? Individuality means indivisible, non-fragmentable. A human being who is not in fragments, you understand fragments, broken up, contradictory. Only such a person is individual. But when he is, when the mind is caught in the stream, he is no longer an individual. He is just like million other uh, people. Only he has got his peculiar characteristics, peculiar tendencies, idiosyncrasies, which are the response of his conditioning. So your character, your temperament, your tendency is the reaction of your conditioning, and that conditioning is the result of your culture, your society, your economic position and so on. So your tendency, your idiosyncrasy, your character is nothing. That's not individuality. I wonder if you get all this. Doesn't matter. I'm going on. So, as long as the mind flows with the stream, the whole idea of a permanent ego, which is the invention of thought, permanent entity in the human mind, doesn't exist. You all believe. 
you all are greedy you are all envious you all pursue, you therefore you are pursuing following caught up in this stream and in this stream there is death you understand and when a man says i will i will i be born next life you are following all this i must tell you a story afterwards rather amusing story when a man asks shall i be born next life what is he asking who is he to be born next life you understand my question is there a permanent me you is there a permanent you look at it right clearly what is the you your furniture your ambitions your greed your envy your disorder your sexual life all that is you and thought invents the super you super self and thought says there must be something which is permanent i like the idea of permanence and you hope that permanent thing will be reborn right you are following all this there is nothing permanent in you obviously you know i was going to tell you the story rather amusing one i saw a cartoon the other day of two dogs sitting on the pavement watching whole hum- hum- human beings go by with their cigars cigarettes drunk quarreling you know the whole stream of them going by businessman in his hat and with his bag and the sanyasi the everybody goes by one dogs to say says to the other reincarnation gives me the creeps because i don't want to be born to be like one of those you see the tragedy of this <laughs> 